0: in the marketplace. We'll be back with you soon with some new episodes of Bottom Line Faith, but for now, we hope and pray that this episode will be of tremendous value to help you live out your faith in the marketplace. And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to
1: Bottom Line Faith.
0: On today's show, Ray visits with Chris
1: Patton, Global CEO of His Way at Work. In 30 days? Our financial statement went the opposite direction uh, that it should go, and over a six-month period, we lost our shirt, and I felt like, man, I have made a terrible mistake. But when you know that God's leading it, and when you know that He's in it, I just don't know how to, to do anything but keep going. Well, hello, everyone. This is
0: Ray Hilbert. I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith, and I am so excited. I have been looking forward to this conversation for months and months, because today our guest on the program is Chris Patton. And Chris is the global CEO of His Way at Work. And let me tell you just a little bit about it, but I'm going to have Chris tell you all about it. His Way at Work is a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to transforming company cultures— and Implementing Christian Principles in the Workplace. We're going to learn all about that from Chris, and what you're really going to hear today, folks, on the program is, this is not theory, as Chris has lived this out in his own business over a long period of time, and now God has called him to lead one of the top nonprofit organizations on the planet helping Christians in business honor the Lord with their business. Chris, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Thank you. Thanks for letting me be here. Uh, I tell you. Now, now, Chris, I'm, I'm a Midwest boy. I grew up on a farm in central Indiana, and within the first five seconds, our listeners are going to know you're not a central Indiana farm boy. Where's home for you?
1: I know I sound like I'm from Indiana or somewhere in the Midwest, but I'm actually from the south. Home is, up until the last two weeks, was in uh, LaGrange, Georgia, about an hour south of Atlanta. And, uh, but at this point, I am now a, a resident of Spartanburg, South Carolina.
0: All right, so all the way from Spartanburg, South Carolina, and uh, we are definitely going to talk about the past and kind of what you did before you lived in Spartanburg, but uh, tell us now, Chris, what what has brought you there. Tell us about His Way at Work, your role there, and specifically, how your organization helps Christians in business. Well, now, how much time do we have, Ray? You you just talk. We'll let you know.
1: <laughs> I hear you. Uh, well, my background is in the car business. Uh, I'm the oldest of three boys, third generation in the car business and uh, third generation family business. And for the last 20 years, up through October of this past year, I was president of that company, of that family business. And then in the last six months, God has plucked me out of Georgia and planted me in South Carolina working as the CEO at His Way at Work. And basically what I was doing before, Ray, I'm getting to do on a on a scaled basis. So I was doing it before in a family business. Now the excitement that I have is I get to share what I've learned, but also the, the methods from uh, His Way at Work over the last 10 years and share that with business leaders and get them doing the exact same thing so that we can impact the world for Christ through the marketplace.
0: Well, you know, in learning what I've learned about His way at work, and of course, you know, our organization at Truth at Work, we're about this too, but when we talk about a business as a vehicle for ministry, what does that mean? I'm Someone's probably listening to the program going, what does that mean to have a business that's a ministry? How do you see it?
1: Well, I'll, I'll give you a 10,000-foot view and then kind of bring it down to ground level. So in a—as brief as I can make it, as I was trying to wrestle— with that very same idea back in 2003. Not only what does it look like, but how do you measure it? I knew that profit was no longer the end goal. If that's, if your goal is to do ministry through the business, it's an absolute necessity and you have to drive for it and you should earn it, but it's not the end goal. So what is the end goal? And I was reading through first Corinthians three. I had just been trying to figure out, all right, God, if this is your business, what do you want it to look like? And what am I measuring? And I couldn't figure anything that he didn't already have. He has all the profit in the world. It's all his. The only thing I could figure he doesn't already have are the souls of those who have not yet come to a relationship with him. And as I'm reading in that first Corinthians passage, chapter three, Paul's talking about laying the foundation of Christ. He said, I've taught you this foundation on this foundation. You're going to build your lives and whatever you build is going to be tested by God's fire on that day. If it survives the fire, in other words, if it's eternal, then you'll be rewarded. If it doesn't survive the fire, if it's just physical, you'll lose that reward. You will escape, but just barely. So as I'm trying to apply that to the car business at the time, this is in 03. I have this picture of our, our dealership group. We've got about 19 acres there in Lagrange and I'm I'm kinda at a thousand foot view. On a Saturday, there are cars everywhere, balloons everywhere, because I don't know if you know that, but balloons sell cars. <laughs> uh, you got car salespeople. you got music. All this stuff's going on, and then, dang, all of a sudden, it's tested by God's fire. What's left? Well, nothing's left. It's 19 acres of scorched black earth, and yet I saw this something repeated all over the ground, and it's, it was silhouettes of people dotting that 19 acres, hundreds, maybe thousands, I don't know how many. And I realized that those silhouettes were the eternal that had survived the fire, and they were—they represented the people that we had impacted for eternity by the way we operated the business. And so in that moment, my job description as the president of that company became two words, add silhouettes. So that's the 10,000-foot view is running the business in such a way as to add silhouettes or impact people pointing them to God. What does that look like on a day-to-day? You can name it. There's thousands of ways to do it, Um, and we can go into more detail on that later, but the day-to-day is making decisions that have a thousand-year picture in mind instead of a 30-day financial statement.
0: Would you say that one more time, to have a picture of what versus what? That is powerful.
1: The idea is to make your decisions every day in the business with a 1,000-year picture in mind, and not for the purpose of a 30-day financial statement.
0: That sounds a whole lot different than what uh, we might learn in business school.
1: It is. And I want to make sure I hit this, Ray. I said it earlier. You have to pay attention to and drive the 30-day financial statement. You have to have profitability in the business. You can't take your eyes off that. But that's not your goal. That is a means to an end. The end is the eternal impact.
0: Oh, that is fantastic. Well, Chris, before we go any further, any further at all, because this is your experience and your journey, tell us specifically the work that His Way at Work does. First of all, how, how can we learn more about His Way at Work?
1: So the uh, website is www.hwaw.com. Okay. And the work itself, Ray, is pretty simple. His Way at Work has a team of coaches that they go into the businesses and teach a Christian CEO how to do what I just described he or she wants to do. So the ad silhouette, how do you do that? How do you do that on a daily basis? What are the strategies that you can use going into a business? And and specifically, his way at work was developed or created, I guess, by founded by a guy named Peter Freisler, Peter has a business in Spartanburg, which is why the ministry is located here. And he figured out over a couple of year period of time how to do this very well in a way that's repeatable. And so our model is based on what started with his business, Polydex Screen Corp, and effectively uses a caring team structure made up of employees that are a vehicle, I guess. That team is a vehicle for the owner, to share God's love to the employees and then through those employees out into customers, suppliers, vendors, community, you name it. So starting with that employee base, showing them God's love before you even start telling them anything, but caring for them, loving on them. And then once you've gotten some momentum there and they realize that you're serious, and they, you know, some of them know why, others ask why, what is it about, you that why, why the change? And those are opportunities to share the gospel at that point. But but the whole idea for His Way at Work is to go in, teach these CEOs and their leadership teams how to transform that culture of the company with God's love.
0: Okay, so I think we're on to something here, and I want to just kind of park here. for. So I'm a Christ follower, and I'm listening to this conversation, and I want to do this. I, w- I have already been impacted by the conversation I'm listening to. And I want to add silhouettes. I want to have a thousand-year vision for my company, so I can literally call you, or email you, or find you on the web, and you can help me walk through that step by step. What that looks like—is that what you're telling me?
1: That's what I'm telling you. And and the sad thing, probably the biggest mistake I made, and I, I say that carefully, Ray. But when I did this in 03, I had no idea there were any out any people out there doing something similar. Wasn't the only one, but I didn't know where to go get help. So I bumped around for three years trying to figure it out myself. Then I got into a peer advisory group and I started learning a little bit more about that. But even then, I didn't have a strategy, a plan, a map, a, a, a set of steps to follow. If I could go back today or go back to 2003 and have our process that his way at work is developed, and start with that, the impact that could have been had over the last 15, 18 years. Can't even measure it.
0: And so, what size company is this designed for? And and what does it look like? You you bring in you just say you bring in a coach, a consultant. What, what's
1: that look like? Kind of at a practical level. We've got businesses with as few as five to ten employees. It looks different for them, obviously, yeah. than clients or, or members that we have that have fifteen to twenty thousand employees. So I'll give you you know the example with Polydeck has got about three hundred employees. The business that I ran, our family business, was about 100 employees. That's probably more the norm in that range, but we've worked with all sizes. There's one company we have that's 2,500 employees, 14 locations across the U.S. and Canada. And the cool thing about this method or this process is it's adaptable. And so we can make it flexible to whatever the business situation is, but effectively – it's four steps. You get buy-in. You get sit down with the CEO. You get buy-in, and you you have a very clear vision. You meet with the leadership team, and you align them with the vision of the CEO, and make sure that they've got buy-in. They understand what you're doing and why. And then you create this caring team within the business. If it's a single location, it makes it easy. If it's dispersed, then it depends on the size of the the dispersed locations as to whether you do multiple teams or not. And then you effectively take it down to the entry level, down to the janitor, and you you make sure that you are carrying that out to every single employee in the business.
0: And and so as I'm listening, I'm thinking, okay, so if I'm a CEO or owner of a company, and I'm excited about this, and I'm thinking, but my leadership team is not all Christians. Sure. W- how would you respond to that?
1: I'd say that's normal. Yes. <laughs> uh, if every leadership team out there was all Christian— and had the same mindset, then we'd have a whole lot more impact going on. So that's absolutely normal. So here's the deal. The CEO, just in a typical situation where we've worked with them, will have the leadership team in a meeting, possibly with our coach involved, possibly without the coach initially, and basically share his or her heart. One, it's gonna be, I'm a believer, I am a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ, Everyone in this room does not see it the same way, but let me tell you how this is going to impact our business. And they go to share how they're going to start pouring out God's love financially, but also through company policies and processes and benefits and and all sorts of things. And they get buy-in from the team. And sometimes it's slow. Sometimes the one or two of the leadership team members say, you know what? I just I don't get this. I'm not in I didn't sign up for this. Now rarely Do you have somebody just completely balk and and be aggressively in opposition? Because keep in mind, this CEO did hire these people. So they're typically not going to hire somebody that's in aggressive opposition to to the way they think. But some that are just not, they're either neutral or they just don't see this. Over time, we help them see whether you believe in the reasons that the CEO is laying out or not you've got to see the benefit to yourself and the other employees for running the business in this way. We just help them come to that realization.
0: So one more time, and then I want to transition, and I want to hear more about your journey and lessons learned, but this is such a fascinating model that you have at His Way at Work, um, and, and a big part of our audience is going to be highly interested in this, there's no doubt. Tell us one more time, Chris, how, how we can learn more about your
1: ministry. So the website is www. H-W-A-W.com. And then you can send me an email at chris.patton at com.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. So, your role there as CEO really is the culmination because, as you've described, you live this out over a long period of time. You're not only a believer, but a practitioner of this model and this mindset. So, so, Chris, as you think back over the course of your own journey in leadership, business ownership, and so forth, can you think back on the hardest decision you had to make in business, and, and
1: particularly,
0: how did your faith play a role in that?
1: You know, that's a great question, and it's an easy one for me to answer, because it' a decision that stands out in my, in my mind is one of the toughest, not just in business, but in my life, and that was back in 2003 when I first started trying to run this business, this family business, in a way that honored God, in a way that pointed people to Him. Now, at the time, I'm I'm in the car business, and Christians in the car business, they either they're rare or you just don't hear about them, but uh, it's not the uh, business known for its ethics, and I knew I had to do something to change that perception, at least for our business. And as I'm praying through that, God led me to a very clear path of moving from the traditional selling system in a car dealership, where it's the back and forth negotiating games and, and all the smoke and mirrors that, that go typically go on in that kind of a deal, and move from that into a negotiation-free selling system. For those that are not real sure what I'm saying, closest example of that would be CarMax, where you have a price on the window. That's the price. There is no playing around. There is no if I could, would you type questions. No playing games with the trade-in. It was just very cut and dry, very simple. But also tough because we weren't CarMax and we had to convince customers that we were serious, that we would not negotiate on that price. We heavily discounted, brought it down to a very tight margin, but they still felt like we were just being stubborn initially. And in 30 days our financial statement went the opposite direction, uh, that it should go. And over a six month period, we lost our shirt and I felt like, man, I have made a terrible mistake. But when you know that God's leading it and when you know that he's in it, I just don't know how to, to do anything, but keep going. It took us about 18 months to transition through that and, and figure out what, how it worked and make it work. But, uh, man, that was a tough 18 months.
0: Well, what was the motivation behind that to go to this non-negotiable uh, negotiated kind of pricing? What's the root behind that or the biblical principle that you were tapping into with that?
1: Sure. There's a verse in Proverbs, and it's actually repeated three or four times in Proverbs in various forms, but the, the gist of it is God hates unequal weights and measures. And the idea there is in the marketplace back then, the guy selling grain would go into the market, and he'd use two different weights on the scale. Both of them said one pound. One actually was a pound. The other would be eight-tenths of a pound, and depending on what market he was in, he might pull out the eight-tenths of a pound weight and put it on the scale to compare to the grain that he was selling and therefore cheat. The customer in front of him based on their knowledge or understanding of the process or whether they had their own weight to check him by. And when I read through that and realized the car business was pretty much modeled on that, hmm. if the customer in front of you didn't have much knowledge about the vehicle or the invoice or the cost, or then you would change the price and go higher. If they knew everything, you know, a, a friend of yours or someone that just was well-researched then you'd have to cut the price down, and it to me, it was unequal weights and measures based on unfair assessment of the customer and What we chose to do instead in that negotiation free is to put a price on the product, so if the product was worth a certain price, that's what we'd sell it for. not what was the customer able or willing or unknowing would how much would they pay hmm. that the biblical principle behind it was that unequal weights and measures.
0: And so if if I'm uh listening to this part of the conversation and I'm in business, what advice could you give me? What encouragement could you give me as to how to evaluate if this may be God leading me to consider such a thing? Whether I'm in a manufacturing business, a service, what what would you say?
1: Sure. So to clarify, and this can it can get a little gray or or if you're not really thinking through it, it can This does not mean you don't negotiate. So I didn't choose negotiation-free because that is the only Christian way to do it. What it did for us is eliminated the negotiation process that is so fraught with opportunity and, yeah, opportunity to cheat. So in temptation, I guess, to cheat may be a good word. So here's what I would say. I'm not telling you, and I don't believe the Bible says you can't negotiate. The problem is, in this equal weights, unequal weights, and measures, it was negotiating based on deceit. So to the degree that you can eliminate deceit from your negotiating practices or even the hint of it, then that's what you need to do. For me, if it was simply myself negotiating every deal, and I've got this mindset of I'm going to honor God in every deal that I do— I wouldn't worry about being negotiation-free. I'd be willing to negotiate and and know that I would not cheat on my own. problem was I had 25 to 30 salespeople. I had three to five sales managers and another three to five finance managers. and And I could not police everybody every day on every deal. Hmm. And even though you want to believe they're not going to, if you set the pay plans and you set the incentives and their metrics, their KPIs up, in a way that drives them, puts them under pressure, and then you say, but, hey, don't cross the line, I think you're kidding yourself. So set up pay plans, set up incentives, set up their KPIs in a way that does not lead to deceit in the negotiations, and I think you're fine.
0: Okay. So I'm going to, just for a moment, I'm going to push the envelope, okay? I, I want to test this because what I'm hearing, this is principle-based Leadership. This is running a business on a principle. This the negotiation piece you're just talking about, right? There was a principle here, and this is how we're going to do it. Sure. So, okay, let's be real. The price on the car was ten thousand five hundred dollars. I'll give you ten four. Will you take the deal?
1: And that's the funny part, right? So, for us, when we first did this, and and since then, since I've left, we've modified it some, at my recommendation. So I'm telling you, again, the negotiating is not the sin. Yeah. So the sin is the deceit. So if if I say I am negotiation-free, right, I do not change my price, well, then I better not change my price or I'm an absolute liar. Okay. Right? So I'm not telling you to do that. I'm telling you that whatever you say you're going to do, that's what you do. For us, we said we don't change the price, and for 15 years— We didn't change the price. And I'm not talking about $100. I'm talking about a dollar. Okay. Talking about a a salesperson was not allowed to say, let me buy you a Coca-Cola so that you'll do this deal. Hmm. Now, we've modified things. So now we're not going to say that. We're going to say, hey, we've got a value pricing that is really close to actual market. We can flex a little bit. Let's put a deal together and not be stupid. And then we've got a very narrow margin we can play with. Yeah. But that's because we're no longer saying we don't negotiate. Yeah, but if you say it, you better do it.
0: That's that is so helpful because you know I'm, I know that's one of the challenges for us as followers of Christ in business. You know, and it says in Matthew, "Let your yes be yes and your no be no." Exactly. And then it's so easy to compromise. It's so easy to say, "Well, okay, in this case." And what you're just reminding us of is the power of leading based on principle. I love it. That is really good, really good. So as you kind of think back over the course of your career, if you could pick one thing that you would have done differently in business, that you could go back and just like snap your fingers and make a change or do it differently, Chris, what would that be and why?
1: That's also a good one uh, and an easy one for me to answer because of my fairly recent exposure to his way at work. And this is not a sales pitch at all, Ray. It's just it answers your question. Yeah. So when when I started No Three, I told you I bumped around in the dark, tried to figure out what this business's ministry or marketplace ministry looks like, and how do you how do you operate this way? And I made some mistakes, no doubt. But the biggest one for me as I as I come into this his way at work model and I look back at how I did it, is I did not start simple and focused on the employee. So I came out in 03 when god got a hold of me i came out with a shotgun and i was i was trying to target customers, employees, the community, suppliers, whoever i could shoot with this ministry idea. That's what i was doing. I was hit, i was doing a lot of activity and and in truth i'm not i'm not trying to beat up my efforts. We had a lot of positive results. But you asked, what would I change? And this is what I would change. I would go back. I would start at the very beginning and I would do what Peter did here at Polydeck. I would do what his way at work recommends. And that is, I would start by pouring love, God's love out onto the employees for whatever time it took to get them to see, hey, he's serious. He's not just, this is not a front that he's putting up. It's not some new game that he's trying to play. This is real. And I would pour into them until that time where I started to see the momentum build and they started taking it outward. And then I would look out into the customer pool, into the suppliers and vendors and so forth, and into the customers. But starting with the employees, getting their buy-in and focusing fully and solely on them, sharing God's love with them before I started telling them about it, and I believe the impact could have been greater. Instead, I was telling everybody, this is what we're going to do, this is why we're doing it, and I was doing activities, but I, there just wasn't the same buy-in level for us, over even over a 15-year period, that can be achieved when you start more simply with the employees first. Huge difference.
0: Okay, so on that note then, and I think this is a extraordinarily meaningful and powerful, could you just share two or three simple examples of changes either that you made or that you've seen other Uh, Christian business owners make, that truly demonstrate this pouring out of God's love to the employee and, and team members?
1: Absolutely. So one would be, a, and you can do this in a number of different ways, but at Polydeck, they have several different funds that the employer funds, basically, and puts the money into. And first would be an automobile repair fund, or a home repair, or crisis fund, where the employee bumps into life, things happen, their car breaks down, their house, the roof gets a leak, the air conditioner shuts down. And in these cases, the employees can come to the business, fill out a quick, simple form, and they can get assistance. In some cases, they can request a loan. In other cases, they can just get a gift, but it's things that keep them going things that are meaningful to them and their family that they couldn't otherwise handle if it weren't for the business thinking that way. So untold examples of of employees, you know, it's the middle of the summer in the south and their air conditioner breaks down or their water heater breaks. And they've got no way, no money to fix it or to have anybody come in and take a look at it. So they just live with it. Or even worse, the power gets shut off. And if you don't think that's happening as a CEO, then... Either you know every one of your employees and you know exactly where they live, you know it all, or I think you're blind to it. In fact, Peter, to start off with, one of the things he did was have these employees go out in teams to help in the community. And at one point, one of the co- the employees come up to him and said, Peter, there's a problem. You've got your employees out repairing these houses. And Peter said, what's the problem with that? We're helping people in the community. And the guy said, these houses are nicer than the houses your employees live in. Hmm. Huh and it rocked him and it's it, that was at the point where he turned around and said we're not going out anymore we're staying we're going to focus inside well, well
0: that's really interesting and you say you know these the CEO was rocked when he learned that the houses that they were working on were better than the houses that his employees lived in is that kind of the typical response of a CEO would how, how does this compare to how most CEOs think actually
1: well i'm not going to i'm not going to um, use too broad a brush and I certainly don't want to hurt anybody's feelings that's listening. But it's my opinion that most CEOs, in fact, they're probably in this position because of this, but their mindset is to scale, to get bigger, to spread, either marketing or advertising is part of their mindset or whatever it is, but get the word out. So to try to do ministry and go out with it, is a natural tendency, and there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is you're not tending to your own first, and when Peter recognized that, he immediately turned and started focusing on his employees, and that was the really the impetus for what we have as our model now it, with that caring team.
0: Because that is. You're, you're, I think you're right about that, and I appreciate you know you were very gracious on how you kind of Position that, but I think you're right. Actually, most CEOs, one of the reasons they're successful is they think growth, they think expansion, they think new. And uh, what you're reminding us of is the importance of first and foremost taking care of what God's already given us that before we're going to get bigger, we've got to get better. And that's in all areas of, of life and leadership. That is that is fantastic input. So let me let me just ask you this, uh, Chris. If you could go back to like your first year in leadership or maybe business ownership. And you were a third generation company that you led.
1: Right, right, yeah.
0: So I'm sure you learned lessons from previous generations and so forth. But what do you wish someone had told you? in that very first year of being a faith-driven entrepreneur?
1: I wish they had told me, keep it simple. They probably did, so maybe I should say, I wish I had listened (laughs) to those who said, keep it simple. And that's both in business and in the ministry. It touches a little bit on what we just talked about with going out. Keep it simple and stay inside. Be faithful in a few things first before expanding. But also in the business. You know, as as business owners, we can too often get caught up in the shiny new object syndrome or pursuing the project of the month, of the the flavor of the month. We go off to a business meeting and we come back with all these ideas. And it runs the people around us crazy. It it runs them ragged. And we think it's activity is is good, but sometimes keeping it simple and staying focused. You know, Jim Collins talks about the hedgehog concept in Good to Great. And I think That advice, had I listened to it and really understood it more, if I could go back 20 years, would have had a pretty big impact on my results.
0: Keep it simple. Focus and execution on there, right? Exactly. Fantastic. Well, Chris, uh, wow, we are down near the end of our time together. First and foremost, I want to say thank you for not only being a guest on the program today, but you have offered amazingly practical and valuable insights about how, not just why, but how to live out faith as a Christian in business leadership. So thank you for for both being on the program and for those insights today. I want to thank you.
1: Thank you, Rick. Appreciate that.
0: And so regular listeners, Chris, to our program know that the one question I always ask, and it's also always my last question Is uh, what I call my 4:23 question, and it's out of Proverbs 4:23, where Solomon writes, "Above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life." So, Chris, what I'd like you to do is, I would like you to kind of fill in the blank. What is that one piece of above all else advice that you would like to pass along? So, would you mind just filling in the blank for us? Above all else.
1: Well, it's that's that's hard, Ray, because. If the Bible says above all else, I don't know that I want to say anything above that. So <laughs> guard your heart would be pretty solid advice. Here's what I would say is is kind of along the lines of what I've been saying so far, and that is how do you do that? So I think guard your heart is the above all else. But I would say how you do that is get help. Don't try to do it by yourself. First of all, follow God's lead, stay in the Word, and and, you know, pour into yourself, but also enlist those around you. Get mentors, those that have been down the path ahead of you and know a little bit more about where you're headed than you do, and get help from them and listen, but also be a mentor to others so that you're pouring into those and you've got accountability built in there. But um, basically, I'd say get help. Don't do it alone. Get support, accountability, encouragement from those around you and, and actively seek it out. Too many people I've heard when I say, well, I've got, you know, I've got several mentors that I listen to. I just, guys, I've never had a mentor because you've never asked. Hmm. You've got to go out and find it and and be intentional about it. But uh, that would be it.
0: Okay. Well, fantastic. Well, folks, it has been our incredible pleasure and blessing today to have on the program here at Bottom Line Faith, Chris Patton, the global CEO for His Way at Work. Again, Chris, just thank you for being on the program today.
1: I appreciate the opportunity, Ray. I mean it. This is fantastic. Check
0: out His Way at Work online. Chris has given us great insights today. Along those lines, he was just talking about having mentors and peers around you, and I would just be remiss if I didn't just take a moment and encourage you to check out our website at truthatwork.org and learn about our Christian Roundtable groups, peer advisory groups for followers of Christ in the marketplace. Also, if you have been encouraged, if you have received great insight and value on today's program please go and give us a review. This is what really helps to give the, get the word out on not only this episode of Bottom Line Faith but all of our episodes. So please provide a review on your podcast platform. That really helps us a lot. Well, folks, thank you for joining us on today's program, and I hope that this has been an encouragement to you. You know that's our goal here at Bottom Line Faith. So until next time, I am your host, Ray Hilbert, encouraging you to faithfully serve God in the marketplace. We'll see you next time at Bottom Line Faith. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work, If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show
1: through Google Play and iTunes.